I'm glad you're here. It's not fun to preach to an empty room. So it's good to be together. Um, let me do this. I want to read a little bit further in uh, Galatians. I was looking at this this week and uh, decided to add a little bit more text today. So let me read um, verses, I'm going to read again 23 through 29. So some of this is in your worship folder and some of this is not. So listen carefully to God's word and then we'll pray. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned under the coming, uh, until the coming of faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Verse 27, very important verse this morning. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or f- and female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. So let's pray for God's word right now. Father, um, I... I thank you that in the end, persuasion of these truths doesn't come from human ability. I thank you that you are more than able to lift these words off the text, and you are able to cause them to pierce our hearts. So Lord, help us to find a Savior who comes for our situation. I pray, Lord, that in these moments you will uh, fill us with a deep joy, Father, if we hear truths we've heard before, may they strike us with beautiful clarity and new power. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, Okay, so like I said previously in the worship service, uh, what we're trying to do is we're trying to beat down self-righteousness. Okay? Uh, Now I'm going to revisit that thought just so you understand what we're trying to do. And this is the important thing is this, is that if you don't do that, here's what's happening. You have to deconstruct legalism, okay, legalism. That's the issue in Galatians. Jesus plus this makes you acceptable to God. Jesus plus this, that's legalism. So if you don't actively, as the preacher or as the worship service in general, if you don't actively deconstruct legalism, show it as a phony, false gospel, if you don't do that, here's what can happen. Even with a good sermon, excellent exposition, biblical, giving us the text and what it says, all that's good. Even with a good expository sermon, if you don't at some point drive it home for the Christian to have an awareness of their need for a Savior, what you're going to do is you're going to, by implication and by an indirect way, you're going to sort of affirm sort of general morality. You're going to communicate that, well, I just learned my Bible, I got some new information, and then what's going to happen is this, is that it's not going to pierce the heart and it's not going to cause people to experience their new need for Christ, okay? 
So I want to just rehearse that with you because the message of Galatians, I think you're getting it. Uh, and it's quite remarkable if we just up front talk about why is Paul going after argument after argument after argument to try and convince these people it's just justification by faith alone. I get it. I could have had four verses in the Bible to explain that to me. I don't need four chapters. That in itself tells us something of our condition as believers. That communicates volumes to us that we don't get it. That we are functionally living in a different way. And so uh, I want to just challenge you today to think more deeply about this idea of living by faith in your Savior based upon this free justification. In other words, I want for you and you pray for me that we would truly live in light of this justification. It's not just a theological concept meant for a chalkboard in some seminary somewhere. It is actually your very life. It is freedom and power. And so we've got to work at it, okay? So that was the sermon before the sermon, all right? Uh, But the question is, is how is Paul countering the idea that a Christian needs some additional commitment to the Mosaic law? How's he countering that argument to receive or maintain full acceptance with God? Listen carefully. To receive or maintain, that's a key word, receive or maintain full acceptance with God. How is he doing that? So, Galatians 3 and 4 are filled with arguments, really four arguments, illustrations that back that up. Now, I'm not going to take time today to cover all of those, but his basic case is made in four arguments. The first argument is in 3, 6 through 14. It's basically this. This has been justification by faith alone has always been the story of the Bible. It started with Abraham in Genesis 12. By faith, not by works. By promise, not by effort. It's always, it's always been the, it's, it's the story of the Bible. That's his first argument. His second argument is, you know what really helps you to understand is that the first covenant that's most significant, it's like a, a last will and testament. Like once that last will and testament is done, even though we know lawyers come in and try and figure out how to get around that, right? If the last will and testament is done, then that's the deal. That's the covenant. That's the deal. That's the contract. And anything that's added to it uh, doesn't really work. It doesn't count in a court of law, right? So Paul's next argument is the Abrahamic covenant is the contract. Uh And the additional Mosaic law was never meant to function for righteousness. Listen carefully. So the deal is found in the Abrahamic covenant. Now, there's other reasons why God brought his law to Israel, which was to make them a distinct people, to demonstrate his holiness. There were 613 laws. But... Paul's arguing, he's saying, look, the deal was made with Abraham, and it's by promise, and it's by faith, it's not by effort under 
Moses' law. And then the third uh, illustration he uses is, well, it's kind of like uh, a father and mother who decide to have a tutor for their child. So you have an in-house tutor to train the children, right? That'd be kind of cool, wouldn't it? Um, and so Paul illustrates this in Galatians 3, 26 and following. It's kind of like this, is what was the purpose of the law? Because we're starting wondering, what, what is the purpose of the law? Well, the purpose of the law was like a tutor. And constantly giving instructions, do this and don't do that. Write like this and don't write like that, like a tutor would, would in, a, in, a, in a home, right? If you had a private tutor, a homeschool tutor or something like that. And so the law, the Mosaic law, was like a tutor, a trainer. It had a pedagogical teaching function. But it didn't ever communicate, oh, great job, you're righteous now. Oh, you got an A in your assignment, God accepts you. The Mosaic Law beat you down. (laughs) It it was always, it it was like my experience with algebra. (laughs) I never went through my algebra classes in high school feeling great about my skills. Uh, I was beat down. Now, some of you who have algebra righteousness, <laughs> I don't relate to you very well. So, so the law, that's his illustration, is that now, now, when do you get freed from this tutor who keeps beating you down and breaking you down? When do you get freed? when a time arrives when you're no longer under the tutor. And for our day, that might be 18 years old. At some point, it's kind of ridiculous you're still being homeschooled when you're 38. We'd say there's a problem here. But at some point, there is a, a time when you're freed from this, this system, right? So he argues, of course, this is what it's like to believe in Jesus. This is why Jesus came. When the Messiah arrives, you are now freed by faith in him. You're out from underneath the tutor. You're you're moving from infant life or young child life. You're moving from an immature stage to a, a, a more mature stage. And that is that, remarkably, that tutor was always telling you that you were condemned under the law of God. And what does Jesus give you? He gives you, instead of that condemnation, that condemnation falls upon him, and he gives you his legal status. Give me one amen, someone. Thank you. Revival's going to break out, I'm telling you. Did you all catch that? We all deserved the legal status of condemned criminals, cosmic rebels, And the law of God was our tutor. That, yep, that's your condition. Yep, that's what, oh, yep, no, nope, nice effort, fell short. Yep, like jumping, to, trying to touch the moon. Good job, not enough, right? The law was constantly telling us we could not be righteous through it as a system. Okay, preacher made his point. 
Are you done with your righteousness seeking? Are you done? Is it just as easy as that in church? Preacher made the point. Galatians 3, 26. You're not out from under the tutor. You're under Christ. You got, you got a free a pass through Jesus. You're no longer condemned. Everybody good. You'll live from this basis that the righteousness of Jesus is now covering you all the time, always. And you, you're done, right? You're fixed. It's not so easy. And the point of Galatians 1 through 4 is we resist this. We resist it. I, I was recently reading, I, I had this dream about being a writer. It's, it's really kind of a fantasy, but um, I, during my sabbatical, I actually started a short story. And um, I got really excited, and then I started realizing how hard it is to be a writer because you have to concentrate and sit. Seriously, there's just two, two tasks that are very hard for me. Concentrate and sit. It's like, I'm out. I'm done. So uh, I got a book from a, a, a writer, accomplished writer, about the goodness of writing. And you can do it. It's all, that's all the book's about. And chapter one is all about how you resist every, every single idea of change in your life. You start off, how many are still members of the club that you joined, the workout club? How many? Don't raise your hands. I understand. How many of us tried that fitness thing and we just fizzled out? And you know what was really cool was that you blamed the instructor. Isn't that cool? Didn't that help you? We are quick with these excuses because we are actively resisting change. If you believe that you are radically deprived of righteousness. Listen carefully. If you're not a Christian here, I am preaching to the, non, to the Christians here of something that I am with them. I am actively resisting the, the righteousness I need. This righteousness that we get through Jesus comes from this remarkable, desperate, honest cry, I am deeply messed up. And I want to put myself in another story. I don't want this story because it makes me look desperate and needy and uh, uh, dependent on someone else to make me look a certain way. Thank you. I can do it. When I first uh, look, went into our new uh, cathedral of consumption uh, called uh, Target, uh, uh, wow, it's a big store. And I went in there. And uh, I've been to Targets before, briefly. Uh, so this one I was really checking out. And do you know when I went in there, I felt comfort right away. Uh, and it's strange. Uh, I felt comfort because I recognize all the brand names. Uh, there's a few names I didn't recognize, but I, I, like I go through the shampoo section. I recognize. They're, my, they're like my friends, you know? They just head to shoulders. That's great. Oh, look at that. There's, Clairol makes that. Yeah, I remember that. Oh, that's great. 
And ladies, in the, they call it the beauty area, the beauty section. And Revlon. And I see all these faces and I see all these images and I feel good. I feel at home. I was raised as a baby boomer, you know. I didn't read books, I watched TV, you know. And uh, all these products and all this stuff. You know, when I walk through a place like Target, I feel, I feel better. I'm around images of comfort. See what I'm saying? Yeah, I'm around these images that make me feel okay. Why do, I, why do I need those images? Because they make me feel a certain way. They, they do something for me. When I look at these products in my bag, they, they, kind of, they kind of are sending off a vibe for me. You know what I mean? I got, the, I got that. I got, I got it. I got it. We're like that in all the examples of our life, all the areas of our life. We're not done with righteousness-seeking and uh, Paul just goes on and on with illustration after illustration after illustration. And if you want to just raise your hand and say, Uncle, I get it. Okay, I understand because it does feel a little bit tedious. One of the most beautiful things is said in verse 23. Let me read this for you. Actually, let me skip down to... Um, Listen to this, verse 25. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all, listen to this, circle it if you like to mark in your Bible. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. It is Paul's favorite metaphor of the Christian life, putting on clothing. The most intimate possession you have, the most important possession you have is on you right now. You can't imagine going out of the house without, without it. It represents you. It communicates you. It's vitally important. Put on Christ. Just like you're putting on clothes and this reflects something of your identity, put on Christ. Now, to put on Christ means to receive this new status and to live based on this new status. Now, this is remarkable. Now, there are some in this room who probably think this way about the Christian life. The Christian life is believing in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. It's beautiful. I'm with you. You're halfway there. Believing in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and we'll go to heaven someday. It's all good. Wonderful. Half the gospel. Are you living as a son and daughter of the living God? That's what your justification sets up for you. It sets up your adoption. What does it mean to be adopted? Well, I don't know. Some of you may be physically, literally adopted. You know more about this than I do. But I can give you an illustration that I'm borrowing from someone else, and this is how it was presented to me. See if this works. If an adopted child comes in, say something like 10 years old, and there's natural-born children around the table, 
The adopted child is self-conscious. Do I fit in? Are my clothes right? Am I saying the right things? They are self-conscious. The natural-born children have their feet on the table and say, what do you mean, do I fit in? Of course I do. It's what I do. I always fit in. The adopted child is self-conscious and performance-oriented. Now, we should have compassion on adoption, and we literally have examples in our church right here, and it's a beautiful thing. But if you explore deeper into the, 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 perhaps we could use the phrase orphan, the orphan, an orphan is often very self-conscious to the point of self-absorption. They are not free in their adoption. So, what does it look like to live as an adopted child of God, wearing the righteousness of Christ? What are you putting on, Christian, as you interact with your world? Are you putting on a defense for your reputation? Are you putting on airs and an attitude about your success in life? Are you putting on uh, your career successes? Are you putting on, you know, which, what are you, what do you dress, as you dress up for your day, what, what, where do you actually live? What, what, what makes you okay? What makes you complete? This is the hard work that we should each be doing in order to build, uh, understand the great foundation that God has given us as adopted children. Now, let me, let me give you a trick question. If you're ever in a sort of a Bible study with me, you'll know how to answer this, okay? So it's a trick question. I'm going to give you the answer right away, okay? So the answer, well, I'm not going to give you the answer right away. Hang on. So here's the trick question. What is the one thing that you need to do in your Christian life to really get it up and going, to really get your Christian life moving and, and what, what are the things that you feel that you should do? And if you did these things, this would really give you a sense of, of accomplishment and, and, and really feel, you'd feel better about your, your walk with God. Right? What, what do you need to do? Now, the answers, I've done this many times, the answers typically are people kind of drop their head and they think about their prayer life. Right? Okay, I, I need to pray more. People think about scripture. Right? I need to know scripture better. Understand that? What else? I don't know. I need to share my faith more. Right? Okay. Understand that. Yep. What else? I don't know. I just need to. I, and there's usually this dropping the head feeling, right? Now, Jesus was actually asked this very question by his disciples. In John 6, 28, we hear them ask, what must we do? What must we do that we might do the works of God? Jesus says, oh, here's the work of God. Verse 29, John chapter 6. Here's the work of God, that you believe. That you believe in the one that he has sent, the Father has sent. That's his answer. So I've never had, when I do that trick question to groups, ready? We always have, I need to pray more, I need to read my Bible more, I need to have quiet times. We have all these, all these kind of answers. But no one says, I need to believe. I'm going to suggest that that is my core problem says that is your core problem. It is not activity in the Christian life. It is believing. It is believing that you are so well accepted, that you are so well loved through Jesus, that there's nothing else to put on, 
There's no defensiveness, no prickliness about your reputation. You don't have to put on anything. See? You don't have to put on anything other than Jesus. To, to really believe that, you are going to now communicate something beautiful in your life. It's going to be a, a humility. See? A, people generally are kind of radioactive, emitting active righteousness. Radioactive with active righteousness. See, we're aware of that. It gives us energy. We don't like anybody breaking it down for us. Your last argument with your with your spouse was probably rooted in some form of self righteousness, and it's very hard in marriage. And I know this from experience. A little experience. Marianne knows a lot more about this. It's very hard in marriage to be right. Sometimes I've bumped into being right. Sometimes. But very little. That's not a lot of my experience. But it's very hard to be right because when you're right, don't you get puffed up? Don't you feel good? When your spouse made, a, made that wrong decision, that wrong purchase, uh, doesn't that feel good? To prove they, uh, they did not listen to your sage advice. Some way, our argumentation, our criticism, our lashing out at others, that we're going, to put, we're going to put on control. We're going to put on something else on the world around us instead of the righteousness of Christ. You see, God doesn't condemn us. He gives us as believers the full-grown status of sons and daughters, the blessings, benefits, and responsibilities that go with being an heir of the living God. This is an intimate closeness that we are to experience. It is like our clothing we are dependent on right now. And so I have to continually think deeply about what does it mean that God has fully received me and live from this identity. Folks, it's a struggle, but it is possible. It's a struggle, but it is possible. And let me finish with this as we think about the Lord's Supper this morning. Listen to these ideas. You were clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. You were made beautiful. Christ was stripped of his clothes and made to be naked. You have been brought in as an heir You've been brought in as as one who will receive the kingdom itself. You are an heir. You're a child of the living God. Christ was treated like a stranger. You've been set free from the curse of the law. And Christ was bound to experience, nailed to the cross, the curse of the law. He said, I'm father. I'm willing to become a sinner on behalf of sinners And that's what he became. He became representatively guilty, though he was not guilty in and of himself. He said, I'm willing to become a representative for sinners. And he was cursed in order to free us from the curse. Christ experienced radical guilt and shame in order for you to be free in your conscience. You have met the requirement of the law through Jesus. 
Brothers and sisters, we should rejoice greatly in this. Your conscience should be clear. You should deeply enjoy this. And what's interesting thing here, Paul says there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. None of these distinctions matter. We're all bought through the blood of Christ. But in Jesus and his death, he was made distinct. All the righteous saints around the cross, as it were. I say that facetiously. All the righteous ones were the ones willing to put him to, to death. He was the distinct one. He was the true sinner. And as he was made distinct, he now has brought no distinctions to us. You see, and he's, he's brought no category that would, that would, would uh, function as a barrier between you and the grace of God. He was the only sinner on that hill that day. He was declared to be one cut off from humanity. Not worthy to live. Think about that. And yet you and I, listen to this, brothers and sisters. You and I are brought into the family. Galatians 3 tells us that we are Abraham's offspring, verse 29. You've been brought into the family, but we deserve to be abandoned on that hill and to be left without a family. And Christ was willing to do that for you, that you would be brought in forever, forever, forever part of God's family. And brothers and sisters, we don't get this. I don't get this. That's why we need preaching and the means of grace, life in the church. We don't get it. God bears with us. The answer might even be, of course we don't get it because we're in such deep recovery of another way of living. Here's the thought. God understands that we don't get it. And not only do you need preaching, you need to hold in your hands the elements of your salvation. This is what he is the one who makes you righteous and he wants you to to experience it in the intimacy of a meal among friends. A meal among friends. And what's he communicating? I love you. I'm not abandoning you. It was never about your performance. I I love sinners. I can I can handle you, your sin. I want to be with you. Nothing you've done can separate my love from you. I'm sufficient. You see, all this is a beautiful, beautiful assurance that we're okay. Not just that he'd be on the outside of us, but we would consume him. Consume him. We want more of him.